you have your Bibles, you could take them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as some of you picked up the, the Bibles in the back, uh, maybe to use, maybe to keep, but you're welcome to keep it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to, to leave here with a copy. So since 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 is where we'll be looking at. Maybe sometime in your life you've said something like this. You're going to think I'm crazy, but maybe you said that this week. Maybe you said that this morning. You're going to think I'm crazy, but when we come to the passage that we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians 12, that is what Paul's saying. It's an interesting portion of Scripture. As you begin piecing together the book of 2 Corinthians, seems as if there's been some followers or some teachers who've come into the city of Corinth and they've begun to impact the people that Paul cared about, the the disciples that Paul made. They've been divisive. They've been kind of attempting to tear down what Paul had built in that church family in Corinth, undermining all that Paul was teaching. They, They had made Christianity all about like exploits of power and rule and supremacy and authority and thought Paul was kind of just a a low man on the totem pole when it came to spiritual exploits. And so Paul begins to address this. And there's so many places in 2 Corinthians 11 12 where he says, I'm talking like a crazy person. You're going to think I'm crazy. I, I'm, not, I'm not even making coherent sense here, but I'm addressing, you want to talk about power? Let's talk about power. You want to talk about visions that you've had of God? Let's, let's talk about visions you've had of God. And so with that in mind, I, I want us to hear Paul address, and that is the tone by which he's addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And at the end, we're going to feel that pushback by Paul on those divisive people who had entered into Corinth. We're going to hear some amazing insight. I've asked uh, Sharon Sproul, who's the most amazing administrative assistant in the world. She's mine. Uh, I'm so grateful for all that she and her family means to our church. I'm going to ask uh, Sharon to come and read 2 Corinthians 12 for us. boast in my weakness, I realized today that I need readers, so (laughs) I'll do my best. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Sharon. We have been looking at encounters with Jesus, and we've been going through a a portion of the book of Luke. We're going to take a detour and see another encounter with Jesus that Paul had, that Sharon just read about. I believe that the passage she just read is one of those that I'm not sure a Christian can hear too many times. And I certainly, if you, if you follow Jesus, I don't want you to be ignorant of that passage. I was thinking through how to frame this, this talk, this message, and Paul's talking about this thorn in the flesh, and it's something that uh, seems to baffle him for a while. And I think maybe the clearest way we can approach this particular text is to approach it by asking questions, because I think the thorn in the flesh even leads us to asking questions. We're just uncertain all of what God is doing. It has a lot to do with the song we just sung, that we we don't know what God is doing while we're waiting, and we're we're often kind of what seems like we're walking in the dark. But just as we walk through that passage, I want to ask a series of questions. Maybe the first that gets us going is, what is the thorn? What exactly is the thorn that Paul is describing here? What is the thorn that Paul describes? Well, there are a lot of opinions on that. So you, so you begin reading through like the, the background material for this particular passage and some will say, well, there's something, you know, something with his eyes. It seems like from other passages, maybe it's something related to his eyes or, or maybe something there's physical about his appearance when, that, that he looked in, in a way that was just uh, odd or strange or unpleasant to look at. What was this thorn in the flesh? But, but after, like, you, you can read 20 pages on this and at the end, the writer will say, but in the end, we're just not sure. I mean, you could have saved me that, you know, 20 pages ago. So we really don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. It doesn't seem like it, 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 it's not directly that he sinned, but it is the result of living in a fallen world. And we get the glimpse for Paul, and, and really the word thorn is probably not the most helpful translation. Actually, the, the better translation probably would be a stake. It's not like one of those little thorns that, that may, maybe bother you for a minute. This, Paul talks about, I, I have a stake in my, in my flesh, so there is something physical about what he's experiencing. I, I think so many things can function in life like a thorn. I think there are things that humiliate us, that we feel like this is, this is a thorn, or there are things that, that tend to hurt us. There are things that we'd prefer to hide, that we'd just rather nobody see those going on. There are, there are things in our life that function like a, a thorn that, that hinder us. There, it's, if I could just summarize, it's... It's things that just make life hard, that we'd prefer just not to be in our lives. Something that exposes our weakness and our limitations. I think sometimes even the most painful dealing we have with thorns is watching it in someone else we love, that we'd love for them to be free from that thorn. But they're dealing with it. They're constantly having to face it. 
I don't know that thorn comparison, like what's my thorn, what's your thorn, is mine worse than yours? I don't know if that's ever a good game to play. I think it's probably silly. Because we all feel things so differently. We all, we all have the same exact thing can happen to two of us, and we may feel those things very, very differently. We're wired so differently, but maybe Paul's description, maybe the fact that he didn't tell us what the thorn was, maybe that actually opens up an opportunity for us to consider what are things that seem to be in our lives that make life harder and they, they hinder us and they, they maybe even humiliate us and they hurt us. What are those things? And I mean, we could, we could begin going through the list. Maybe for you that thorn would be dealing with some sort of disability that, that certainly at some point you, you, would, you would love to be free from. Maybe that thorn for some in this room, several in this room, would be a less than perfect marriage. You'd really like it to be better than it is. But it just never, it's never seemed to get there. Maybe for friends in this room, the struggling with being unemployed or underemployed. Maybe it's dealing with the loss and loneliness. You say, I, I, I feel hindered by this feeling of loneliness or this, this loss that I'm having to, to work through. I, I feel like limited by this. Maybe there are personality traits that you'd prefer to change. You wish you could be someone you've tried, you've worked on them, you've tried to address weaknesses and tried to turn those weaknesses into strengths, but there's, you kind of, you are you and the personality traits. And well, again, we're not talking about sinful behavior or any sort of making excuses. We're not talking about that. There's just some things that you like, I'd really like to change this about myself. I really wish I could do this differently, but this is just how I'm wired and it, it's hard work to even, even address it. Maybe the thorn is you find yourself or a loved one aging and it becomes painful to watch that. And, and it seems to place limitations maybe on you as a caregiver or maybe on you and your body. You remember days where you could do more or do this or do that and you, you really wish you could, but those limitations for some reason are in your life right now and you're feeling them much like Paul felt. Maybe that thorn would be wrestling through miscarriages or infertility. And often that's such a, a silent struggle in our church. And it hurts, and it hurts deeply. And, and, and you'd love to have like the full family, you have that in mind, and that's not happening. Or maybe it's concerning issues with kids, and maybe that's little kids, maybe that's big kids, but it's like kids are still your kids. And you feel that, and you feel that press or... Or maybe it's anxiety and fear. Maybe it's wrestling through temptation. My guess is that most times in our lives, we don't live far from at least some of these things. Some of these things come into our lives and we feel them as thorns. They hurt. They're stakes that kind of drive in us and they, they make life harder than what we would envision if we didn't have to, have to fool with it. We didn't have to worry about it. So as we keep reading, I, I, I think there's another question. So the, the first question is like, what, what is that thorn? We don't know, but I, I think it's a category for us to help understand what Paul was wrestling with. I, I think there's another question we can ask, and that is, what is the reason given as to why Paul even has the thorn? 
So for this, we've got to look in our Bible, right? We've got to look, especially in verse 7. What is the reason given as to why Paul has the thorn in the first place? So Paul would say this. He's talking about all these revelations that he had, even going to the third heaven, seeing things that he just couldn't even speak about. And he says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. What is the reason given as to why Paul has a thorn? Even to answer that, you have to look at who gave him the thorn. Who is the ultimate giver? And when the word given is used in verse 7, that that word is always attached to God. God gives. God gives. This is something God has ultimate responsibility for. And, And the purpose of God giving Paul that thorn is to prevent him from being conceited. I'd like to think anything bad in my life only comes from Satan. But here, I mean, Satan has no interest in Paul not being conceited. Like Satan would love for all believers to be conceited. He's not given a thorn for that reason. As we read, we remember God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I mean, this is a sobering realization. But still, like Satan's mentioned in this verse, so here's what we have kind of rolling down the same track. We have, uh, in, in parallel tracks, we have God giving this to Paul so that he didn't get conceited. Because pride is always the enemy of God. And at the same time, Paul says, that's, it, at the same time, that same thorn is a messenger of Satan to harass me. Like, I'm not sure I can unscramble those eggs. Like, when that goes together, I'm not sure I can pull apart that and go, okay, is this God or is this Satan? And it seems like they come together and the same exact thing could be God working for our good and Satan working to destroy us. Satan working to destroy our faith. Sometimes it's hard to discern exactly what we're experiencing, whether it's like the, the, the clear work of God to make us more like Jesus or the clear work of the enemy to harass us. Sometimes we can have like, I don't know, I'm positive you felt this way. You have a limited grasp on all of what God is doing. So if he could just send you the memo, you know, this is what I'm doing. And tomorrow this will be what I'm doing. And just kind of give us a, a week, in, week in advance. It's just not the way it works. What's the reason given as to why Paul has a thorn? Well, it's slightly complicated, isn't it? Certainly to keep Paul from getting conceited. So how does Paul respond? So that's the next question. Like, what is Paul's response to the thorn? Again, by, by Paul's thorn, I mean, we're, we're living, we get to live in his world a little bit and see what, what does he do. Well, we know what he does because verse 8 says, three times I, I pleaded with the Lord, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Oh, please hear this. So this, what, what he does not do is run from God. When he's, starting to, when he's starting to feel the pain of that thorn, what he doesn't do is run from God or, or hide. He actually takes it to God. And I, I think there's such a lesson there that when we feel confused and we feel like, I'm not sure this is coming from God or Satan. I'm not sure what's going on anymore. We, we should run to the Lord. We should go to him. This is what we, we have a pattern of in Scripture. He doesn't use this as an opportunity to take a break from Jesus for a while. And I'm tempted to do that at times. 
Lord, is this the way it's going to be? I just kind of need some space for a while. And some of you maybe have run down that track away from God. Like there's no answers there, are there? There's no way that ends up good. Then we have to turn about and we, we begin walking to the Lord. And that, that's not easy. I mean, Paul is saying three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. And I, I don't think it's like, yeah, it was at 1030 and it was at noon and it was at one o'clock. Those three times. I don't think it was that. And I don't think it was, yeah, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It was three times. I don't think it's that. Not when you're feeling what Paul's feeling. I think he's crying out to the Lord. I, I think that actually represents seasons where you just felt like, Lord, this is too much. Lord, I need help here. So what Paul doesn't do, he doesn't get this game plan to pull himself up by his bootstraps. I don't know how... I don't know if you've seen on ESPN the 30 for 30 videos. I'm a 30 for 30 junkie. Love watching. I watch the same ones over and over again. And they have these amazing stories, these amazing stories of resilience. And like this person that had, you know, just everything stacked against them, overcame all that. And kind of by sheer determination, they, they made it happen. And I think that's not what Paul's saying here. He's going to the Lord. He's pleading with the Lord that it should leave him. That's exactly what Paul's praying. So what we don't have is robot Paul. We have human Paul. So robot Paul is like, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not Paul. Paul's crying out, saying, Lord, I pray that this would just leave me. I pray that you would eliminate it. I pray there'd be some way of escaping it. And yet he's left to endure it. I think that was his solution. It's never mine. Like if you give me, you can have it eliminated, you can escape it, or you can endure it. I'll take, I'll take A or B, whichever, whichever way. God, you just make that choice, A or B, and I'm good. But C, uh, not so much. Paul's praying like, Lord, just let this leave. Let this be gone. I don't think it's because Paul's a sissy. I don't think it's because Paul's a wimp. No, I read too much about Paul to know this is a tough tough man of God. I wonder if Paul, and this is a little bit of speculation, but I don't think it's unwarranted. I, I wonder if Paul thought, like, boy, I, I could really serve you more, God, if you would just take this from me, whatever this thorn is. I, I really could do more work for you if I didn't have this limitation. If I wasn't kind of, my weakness wasn't exposed in this sort of way. I, I really then, and because and I, I, I wrestle with those things, Lord, if, if this would change my personality, if this would change about my circumstances, then I really could envision a, an amazing future. I, I imagine I could do great things for you if I didn't have to deal with this, if I didn't have this family situation, if I didn't have this particular physical limitation, I could really, really do great things for you. I was talking with my sister, and I'm so grateful I can't tell you how grateful. I love my church family. I, I love my sisters. And a, a sister that I have in New Hampshire, I was talking with her and her, her son earlier this year in February got a, had a concussion playing basketball. And this concussion has left just lingering effects. And this is now his senior year. 
And my, my nephew, and I'm proud of my nephew, he, he loves the Lord and he's, he's a strong witness for the Lord and he loves sports and he's not able to play sports because of the concussion and he could really be a leader on the team. And my sister even was, was saying, you know, I, I envision Drew's senior year being one where we would just have such a good time and yet now he's dealing with this concussion and he can barely even read without these migraine headaches and, and he's going through all these tests and, you know, I'm feeling that even as I'm studying. So I had that conversation with her Thursday and I'm feeling like this is... She's living this out. I mean, there, there's so much that she could envision, and yet God has closed those doors, and it, it's confusing, and it's frustrating. And so my sister Renee is praying through that, and it hasn't been easy, and she wouldn't pretend. Surely, at times, we think, well, I could be a better me if I just didn't have this to deal with, if I had a, a, a better marriage, if I had better kids, if, if I was a better parent, if I was a better... If I, if I could just do this, I... I could be so much, I could do so much more for the Lord. I could be so much more of a spiritual person. If I didn't have this past that limited me, if I didn't have this dumb decision that I've got to live with now and the effects of it, if I, if I, if I. I have to think Paul went there. Still, he pleads to the Lord, Lord, take it away. So he's prayed to Jesus. And now Jesus meets him. In verse 9, he has this encounter with Jesus. So in Paul's writings, you don't find a lot of direct interaction with Jesus Christ. You don't have much lettering in red. If your Bible has kind of red letters for the words of Jesus, you don't have a lot of that when it comes to Paul. But here you do. So he prays to Jesus. And what words does Jesus say that make a difference to Paul? I think you need to know those words. I think it's amazing that 2,000 years ago, Paul had an encounter with the Lord. I think it's, I think it's critical that you know what Jesus said to him. And, and this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. And these are God words here we're talking about. For my power, another God word, is made perfect. Another God word. So my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We're, we're about to learn significant things about God. What does Jesus say to him that makes all the difference? And, and that is, Jesus says, I am going to give you enough grace. Whatever that thorn, whatever that stake is in your life, I'm going to give you enough grace. Grace to bear it. Grace to deal with the, the pride that may come into your life if you didn't have it. Grace to love. Grace to serve others in the middle of it. Grace to continue in your faith. I'm going to be enough. I'm going to give you grace. And often I think in Pastor Champ was helpful to me in seeing this. So often in Scripture, where you see grace, grace comes not in some sort of odd commodity. It comes in the form of a person. Grace has a name. It's Jesus Christ. Grace isn't something, something that we can't even get our minds wrapped around. Grace comes to us in the form of a person. And, and so when, when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, what he's saying is, I'm enough. I'm enough. I am present in here and I'm enough. The combination that I generally expect, like my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. What I want to finish that is, and kind of the script that I would write is, my power, God's saying this, my power is made perfect when you are strong. But that's not what it says, my power is made perfect in weakness. I, I think my, God's power is made perfect when, like I make a real positive impression for him. When, when, I, when I deliver consistently good results, then, boy, doesn't God look powerful. 
when I don't drop the ball in my parenting, when, I, when I'm uh, just the, this superstar in, in, at the home and, and with your grades and with your work and with your family and with your friends and your role at church and, and that nonprofit you, that you help. And when, when, you, when you show your, your strength and you show how good you are and how you can deliver consistent results and everybody can count on you, we think that is when God's power is going to look really, really great and be brought to completion. But that is not what Paul says. I think when there's no error and no hiccup and no exposure of my limitations, then and only really then is God's power perfected, made complete. That's the magic formula that I try to attain so often. There's a different formula in the passage. God's power is brought to completion in my weakness, not in my strength. So we are weak and God meets us there. And then infuses us with his strength. The beauty of a team is not when there's five players exactly alike and they're all strong in the exact same thing. The beauty of a marriage is not that two people are exactly alike. The beauty of a friendship is not that two people have identical views on every single thing, identical strengths, identical everything. That is not the beauty. The beauty is when there's a difference and there's a weakness. And, and so what, what I see here is God saying something even more powerful. We bring our weaknesses. God operates in total power and his power is brought to a conclusion, not despite our, our weaknesses, but in and through them. We can trace this theme of weakness all throughout Paul's writings. So Paul talks about this idea of strength. We, we might know it. So Paul finds himself in prison in Philippians 4, and he finds himself, he had once lived high, and now he's living very low, but he says, I can do all things through Christ. But he doesn't just stop there. Who infuses me, who strengthens me, who gives me the strength? I am weak in this prison, but Christ strengthens me in this weakness. There's a place I, I read uh, of Paul that looking kind of back to his past, and he, I'm sure he looked back to his past, much like many of us in the room look back to his past with much regret, and, and that would be a source of weakness. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, and he appointed me to his service, his ministry despite his former life of rebellion against God, which surely we think that that has to disqualify me from doing anything for God ever. Paul says, I am infused with Christ's strength, even in my weakness, even with my past. When Paul walks through being abandoned, being left in 2 Timothy 4, this is what Paul would say. In the midst of being abandoned, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. When Timothy was feeling inadequacies, as probably any pastor does, Paul said, my prayer is that you will be strong in the Lord. That's what he says to the whole church at, at Ephesus. And I, I just wonder, the church at Ephesus would be like a small little group of believers in the midst of this town of hundreds of thousands of people. And they would be marginalized, and nobody would, nobody would really want to hear from the Christians. Nobody would really have much time for them. And so Paul ends his letter to the Ephesians saying, finally, be strong in the Lord. You think you're weak, Ephesus, but, but God's going to infuse you with strength. I think maybe the most well-known passage on this theme is Isaiah 40, right? 
those who wait on the Lord, will renew what? Their strength. They'll be infused with strength. So then they can run and not be weary. They can walk and not faint. Where does the strength come from? They're infused with it. God gives them that strength. I just know there's a room full of limitations and weaknesses and struggles. And, and yet I recognize something very, very important that you can be infused with strength. I don't mean by that, yeah, God comes and then all the problems go away. Because that's actually, I don't know that that happened for Paul. What Paul received was an infusion of the Lord's strength to endure the trial. You know, some things do last for a season and some things, some things are rather permanent. And some things might change and some things might never change this side of the new heavens and the new earth. And some things I, I might be able to impact and some things I certainly won't be able to. And some things will be more spiritual and some things will be more physical and some things are personal and private and some things are very public. But going forward, we're infused with strength. So what does Paul do? How does Paul, how does Paul respond to the words of Jesus? You see the end of verse 9? Again, I hope these... These would be great, great verses to memorize. He says, because of this, I can do a crazy thing. <laughs> I can boast. How does Paul respond? He says, I, I, can, I can boast more gladly because of my weaknesses. Because I know the power of Christ is resting on me. The situation with my kids, the anxiety I feel, the joblessness, the hopelessness, the loneliness, the loss, the thing that doesn't ever seem to ever have like a, a nice resolution that would make me happy. I, Paul says, I can, I can boast about that. I, I can actually go public with that. I don't have to hide it. I can go external. I, if there was shame attached to the thorn before, there's not now. And I, I, I can be vulnerable knowing that God has promised to be present and to show grace. And, you know, church, I, I say this to us kind of collectively as a church. I pray for our church to be strong, and I pray for our church to be maturing, and I pray for our church to be healthy, but I don't know until I really dug into this passage this week that maybe, maybe one of my prayers should be, and I think it's all right to pray for our church to be strong and healthy and mature, maybe one of my prayers and one of your prayers should be for our church, Lord, would you, would you show us our weakness and may we, may we be vulnerable at places? So that in our weakness, not in our strength, not in our slickness, not in our excellence, not in our crowds, not in everything that we can do well, but maybe in the things that we go, we don't feel like we do so well in those areas. Maybe in those areas, you will be so pleased to not use our, our, our strength as a church, but in our weakness, you'll show, yeah, ultimately, this was never about your strength anyway, Ogletown. This is all about my strength. Can, can I give us a license to be vulnerable with each other? I mean, why would we hide? Why would we pretend when, when it's actually through the weakness? Can, can I give a license for not every marriage to be okay and for us to work through that, not run from that, but work through that? This isn't an excuse to, to, to gloss over sin or to hide that, but that, it is to say we are weak and we have limitations and we would do better putting those out there and living in that sort of community where we regularly see Christ show himself strong. I'm such a perfectionist. I would rather nobody ever see any weakness I have. I'd rather nobody see any limitation I have. I'd rather that never be exposed to you. I'd rather my family never see it. I'd rather my friends not have to deal with it. But that's fantasy land. And our weakness. And then, and then Paul even goes further. So he says, I can boast about it. I can go public. But he says also in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. Those are hard-won words. 
I don't think you get to that on day one of a struggle. I don't think you you get to that day one of a family crisis. I don't think you get to that day one of losing someone you care about. But Paul says through all this, I am content for the sake of Christ. My heart doesn't have to be preoccupied. I can submit to the plan of God. I can continue in prayer. I can look with expectation to what God might do. I can be content. Because when I'm weak, then, then I'm strong. Then the mask is off. Then God shows his strength. You need to know that this is the heartbeat of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the heartbeat of the gospel. This is the storyline. We are born in the ultimate weakness, and that is sin. Rebellion against God. And God sees us in our need. Not in our strength, but God sees us while we're sinners in our need and sends Jesus to rescue us. And Jesus takes him upon himself, our weakness, weakness in the form of flesh, weakness in the form of enduring insults. And he faces hardship. And ultimately, I mean, he's rejected. I mean, if there ever was a, just a pitifully weak thing, it would be a man not even be able to, to even move because he's hanging on a cross. The one who is infinitely strong became weak so that you, so that I, who know we are weak, could be made strong in him. Are you trusting in that? Are you trusting in that? Comes a day where you say, I'm either going to walk that road with Christ or not. Are are you continuing to trust in that? That this one who was so powerful that became weak for you, so you might know his strength infused. Are you trusting in him today? Have you trusted him for your salvation? I guess the last question I would ask, and I'm going to leave it with you is how is God speaking to us today? How is God speaking to you? What's he saying? What's he saying about that weakness? That you came in here thinking that is the enemy. That is the problem. Until that changes, I can't be happy. Life can't be right. Nothing will be good. What's he saying to you today? And I ask you to bow your head. Because I really do desire you have an encounter with Jesus. I, I don't know whether this will be a season of pleading. But I think that's totally appropriate. Lord, take it, take it, take it. Maybe that's the season. I think it's totally appropriate. Maybe this is a season of hearing the words of Jesus. My grace is enough. It's enough. Maybe it's a season of... I need to share and quit hiding this stake, this thorn. Maybe it's a season of being content. Let's pray for a moment. Father, trying trying to discern what you're saying to our church this morning. I lift up the prayers of those who are pleading right now that you would take something away. We don't pretend to be God. We, We don't know your ways, your will. 
if it's possible that there'd be another path that would lighten the burden on some of my, my friends in this room, I pray that you would do that. Father, I pray for those that need to hear from you today. They've heard from a pastor who did his best to represent your word. They need to hear from you, your Holy Spirit, to come and infuse their life and, and infuse them with strength so that they would know they're not alone. I pray that they would hear the words of the Good Shepherd, the Savior, saying, my grace is enough. I'm not going to go halfway with you. I will take you all the way. I will make my powers be completely fulfilled and it will happen not not in a detour around your weakness but right through it. Father, I, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on us today that we would know the truth for those that are needing to be more vulnerable and needing to share and needing to get to the point where they can actually boast and rejoice about even pain because well, someone meant it for evil, you meant it for good. And it's made all the difference to them now. Pray that you would, you would have, have us have that spirit to be transparent and vulnerable with each other. And oh Lord, I pray that you would make us content. Not just in a, for a few seconds at the end of a, a service here, but like a Monday morning content and a Friday afternoon content. So Lord, we we praise you because although we are sometimes very faithless, you are faithful. We praise you for that faithfulness. We praise you that you care and you love us. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.